the Sheffield Hopcast and to this bonus collaborative episode called Beer Nation 2020, where earlier this month Laura and I joined forces with a selection of UK beer podcasts to take a look back at the beer world over the last five years. Big shout out to Emma Inch for hosting and to Steve from the Beer Clock Show for organising and to all the other podcasters to help create what was a great couple of hours chatting over various beer topics. So make sure you check them out. This is split over two episodes, so without further ado, here's part one. Hello and welcome to Beer Nation 2020. I'm Emma Inch and I'm joined in a virtual way, of course, uh, by the very cream of British beer podcasting to share some thoughts about the drink and the industry that we love. Doing anything like this in this particularly strange year takes on a sort of a significance beyond uh, the nuts and bolts of the discussion itself. We're living through this, this global pandemic and in a year that, uh, that none of us have experienced before and hopefully we, we, uh, we never will again. And hopefully today's discussion can, can do justice to, to some of the challenges, some of the learning opportunities and perhaps some of the hopes for the future that, that we all have. So before we go any further, obviously I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves. We're a big group, so we're going to keep it quite brief. So I'm going to start off with the, with the guys who've managed to pull all this together and have managed to get us virtually sat around the table. Uh, I'm going to start with the Beer O'Clock Show, guys. So Steve, introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Steve from Beer O'Clock Show, Opinions. Um, I'm, as people know, I'm based in Essex and I've gone for a local brewery to, today who are just a couple of miles down the road from me, a brewery called Bishop's Nick. They, the head brewer there is a, a original descendant from the original Ridley's Brewery, which is now owned by Green King. Um, so they're not allowed to use any of the original beer names that they used to have, but he's, he's set up a new brewery under the Bishop Nick moniker. Uh, and I'm on their seasonal offering, which is a strong, rich owl at 7.5%, uh, kind of a bar wine winter warmer hybrid and it's it's actually really lovely lots of fruitcake flavors going on there and there's another beer o'clock guy lurking martin introduce yourself hello everyone um martin beer o'clock show co-host to steve and just to throw in a little bit of credit where credit's due most of the pulling together is definitely done by steve rather than me so thank you steve for, for kicking this off for us um i'm also based in essex um, and I am drinking a beer from Leon C, who are a brewery I've mentioned a couple of times on the Beer O'Clock Show, and uh, it's the Legra Pale, 3.8% Citra only hop, bitter, piney, delicious, especially after four days off the booze. Excellent. Yes, I love Leon C beers, and I love their branding as well, that nice little shell shape. It's so cute. It's really good. It is really good. Really good. Right. I'm moving on to uh, men behaving badly. Hopefully you are going to all behave well today. Uh, I'm going to start at the top of my screen. Mark. Oh, hi there. It's uh, Mark from men behaving badly here, um, coming in from lovely North Leicestershire, um, just outside of Loughborough. And I've kind of gone half local with my uh, beer choice. Uh, I've got the collaboration from Emperor's Brewery from Colville here in Leicestershire um, and Ampersand from Norfolk. I've gone for their Mockalorian Mocha Imperial Stout. Uh, why I've decided to have a 10.5%er at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, who knows? But I'm sure it is a fantastic beer. So. Oh, and you're lucky to get your hands on some of that Emperor's Brewery, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like yeah. a gold dust, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So, Tom. Hi everyone, uh, Tom from Men Behaving Badly. Um, I'm in South Leicestershire, Market Harbour, um, and I am drinking um, Braybrook's 
more most recent offering i think is their pills um they're just a couple of miles down the road from me um actually just over the border in north ants um obviously produce some fantastic lagers and their pills is is just as good um only just tried it uh, a few minutes ago but it's tasting nice and crisp um refreshing just what i need and just a bit more kind of bitter and, and hoppier than their, their other offerings as well so yeah uh, a great start excellent and the third man behaving badly ashley Hi everyone. Uh, I feel like this is going to be a slight carbon copy of exactly what Tom just said, because not only am I also in Market Harbour, I'm also drinking Braybrook's latest, The Pills. So um, uh, thinking of it as kind of like their Session Lager's big sister, because um, it is all of those kind of characteristic notes, but with a bit more oomph. So 100% Franconian malts and, and five hops. Yeah, really lovely, really complex. Excellent. So now moving on to Rhythm and Brews, Luke. Hi, Luke uh, from Rhythm and Brews, uh, based in North Hertfordshire uh, in Hitchin. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't gone for a local. Um, I've gone as far away from local as I could with the Sour Grinch from Overworks, uh, which is a chocolate and cram- chocolate cranberry and hazelnut sour because, you know, festive, uh, which is like a weird combination of a really nice chocolate milk stout and a Berliner Weiss, which, you know, is an experience. Excellent. And Andrew? Oh, it's Andrew here, the other half of uh, Rhythm and Brews. Um, we're the podcast that does the, the music matching to beers in a sort of semi-formal sense. Um, we've been recording, oddly, I, I had to look this up, November 2016, Luke. That's, that's over four years now. I don't know how you haven't divorced me yet. Um, what am I drinking? Not, not that local, um, but it is from the south, from Tunbridge Wells. It's a good things brewing company. Uh, drinking their double dry hop pale ale called Enki, Simcoe and Laurel Hops. Um, and it's really good. It's four and a half percent. I think I made the sensible decision rather than going for the Imperial Stouts at two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, very refreshing, citrusy, passion fruit. Um, and I wanted to give them a shout out partly because I've been discovering all sorts of new breweries during lockdown, but uh, they are the, they're claiming to be the first uh, UK closed loop brewery. So they're all about the sustainability. And I thought, for no other reason they deserve a shout out absolutely they're a great great bunch of people and they're doing some really um yeah transformational work with sustainability down there fantastic uh now the only two people who not social distancing simon and vicky you introduce yourselves hi um yeah simon here from uh, beers without frontiers podcast based in the midlands or south warwickshire to be precise um i'm drinking uh, an attic Bruco beer called Supernaut, named after a Black Sabbath song, appropriately, because they're from Sturchley in Birmingham. Uh, and it is a 4.1% uh, straight stout, really, which is, and I guess at that percentage, sessionable. And it's just a straight up kind of stout of the type that you don't get that often these days. It's none of this pastry kind of business. Uh, so it's just roasty chocolate notes and stuff. And at that ABV, you can sort of, it's pintable. So uh, that's what I'm on. And uh, just to confirm, we're not um, we're not breaking social distancing rules. We're not breaking tier three rules. We we do actually live together. So <laughs> just in case, thought better clear that up. Um, yeah, I'm also on Attic, and I'm on Attic Bruco, and I'm drinking uh, Forge Dark Mild, and it is does exactly what it says on the tin. It's a lovely mild. It's um, and it's four point three percent. So I'm I'm going slightly stronger than Simon today. <laughs> Excellent. And you've got a Beers Without Frontiers colleague as well, Charles. Hello. Yes, uh, it's Charles from uh, Beers Without Frontiers, one of the co-hosts. 
Um, I live in Warwick, so just outside of uh, Leamington Spa. And the brewery that I'm drinking at the minute uh, is a brewery we've actually featured on the show before, which is Attic. And this is a beer called Go With The Flow, 5.1% West Coast Common, which is a really interesting sort of take really on a high, you know, hybrid between a West Coast IPA and a, and a Californian Common. Um, it's lovely. Yeah. Thanks Excellent. for having me. And then we've got Sheffield Hopcast, Laura. Hello, uh, I'm Laura from Sheffield Hopcast, probably unsurprisingly based in Sheffield. Uh, slight spoiler in the uh, name of the podcast there. Um, I have actually gone for, I've gone for a Yorkshire brewery, uh, but not one of our most local ones. Um, I've chosen a beer from Bad Seed, based in Moulton, just up from York. Dark Forest Theory, it's a 5.5% chocolate and cherry stout. Um, absolutely delicious sort of really really well-bodied uh rich stout with just a little uh hint of sweet tartness from the cherries um that's in really nice balance so uh yeah i just thought i'd uh give those a shout out one of uh, one of my very favorite breweries um and not one that um you tend to see around all of that much um outside of york so that's why i've chosen that one excellent and a lot of people are going for these stouts and christmasy flavors so that's great and some Christmas jumpers even. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and Adam from Sheffield Hopcast. Hi, I'm Adam. I'm 38 and a half years old and I'm also from Sheffield. Um, yeah, um, yeah, one uh, one quarter of the Sheffield Hopcast, which has been going about just, I think it's about three years actually now. Um, kind of locally focused, but with a, a reach nationally as well. So, uh, And today I'm keeping it local with a, an American twist. So we've got um, St. Mars of the Desert, uh, Bon Vive. Um, it's a cool ship IPA, 5.4%. Um, kind of a brewery that's probably making a little bit of a more waves this year or in the last year or so, um, getting out there into into the world. But yeah, it kind of a, was one of our kind of best kept secrets for a while. So uh, I've always liked to keep a, an eye out for, for a St. Mars beer. Absolutely. We hear a lot about that that beer, but I haven't managed to get my hands on, on the, about that brewery, but I haven't managed to get my hands on any yet. Um Oh, now you're just drinking it into the microphone to make me... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, uh, with Christmas Jumper on and ready, it's Nat. Hi, everyone. I'm Nat. I'm a London-based beer educator, author, and host of the Beer with Nat podcast. And while I am wearing Christmas gear, I've already drank all my Christmas beers. So I have a lime Berliner Weiss from Wild Card, so a nice local selection. It's 4%, so I thought, again, a good afternoon beer. It's really limey, really zesty and tart, so it's really fun to drink. I'm really enjoying it. And I picked it as well as a little shout-out to Jaga Weiss, who's their head brewer. Um, Not only is she an award-winning head brewer, she's an award-winning beer communicator, and she was my first-ever guest on Beer with Nat, so I wanted to give her a little nod. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, she's just one best beer broadcaster so we're going to talk a bit about beer broadcasting lately later aren't we but um but yeah jager's right up there with that um and just in case people don't know i'm based down in brighton and uh, the beer i've chosen is a local uh, brighton beer i've chosen a collaboration between umbard one of our local breweries and um bison beer who both brew beer and sell beer in their shops and in their bars and this is their rocktober ipl um and it's uh, 5.2% it's got a nice picture of a bison on the front um, and it's it's just perfect for kind of getting me in the mood this afternoon and Umbard, uh, an amazing brewery, uh, Jordan Mower is the head brewer, set up in his garden shed. I brewed with him years ago in his garden shed actually and now has a beautiful tap room in Brighton that sadly hasn't been able to open obviously in this this period but they're still selling their beers out of there so um, 
that's fantastic so that is everyone there are a lot of us uh, but we're going to keep things tight and interesting but what I'm interested in to start with uh, is from you Steve about about kind of why we're here and where this has come from you've done this kind of thing before haven't you yeah, once before. So um, I've been podcasting for eight years now. And uh, five years ago, we, we decided to bring together the then podcasts in the UK that were focusing on beer. And to say that you could probably count them on one hand is, a, is an understatement. But there were, there were half a dozen of us sat around a table uh, upstairs in a pub in North London. Um, and basically, we were discussing the the state of the beer nation essentially back in 2015 and then obviously as 2020 rolled around um and with everything that's that's gone this year i i thought you, you know what beer podcasting is in a great place in the uk right now we're, we're we're up to sort of like 50 plus beer podcasts that are available for consumers to listen to and and wouldn't it be great if if we repeated the beer nation concept but brought together more of, of those beer podcasts and as everybody is now well versed with doing things online and via zoom and you know very much used to this sort of setup now would be the ideal time to do it actually and and, and to take it as a how have things moved on since since 2015 so back back in 2015 some of the key things that we were discussing at, at that first beer nation are probably still some of the things that may come up today but in, in a very different way. So what, one, of, one of the things that came up again and again during that original discussion was, was the word weatherspoons and, and whether it was a dirty word or not. Um, I think views may have changed on, on that significantly, but it, it, it did come up repeatedly. There, there were phrases used like the craft beer revolution, which, which I think if we go back five years ago, it was probably just when the tide was beginning to turn in terms of the amount of craft beer that was about available. Um, there was lots of discussion around the availability and the choice of beer. And there was also quite a bit of discussion around the role that social media has to play in, in beer, and in particular, the role of untapped within that. And obviously, sort of five years on, we've seen untapped grow significantly. So it does still play quite a significant role. Um, one of the key things that, that was mentioned was um, there was some discussion around some of the buyouts that had happened that year. And, and one of the big ones was the ABI and, and the SAB merger, which, which at the time was, was huge. Those two giants of beer in, in the world coming together. And I know they've since had to split up and sell off a few concerns to satisfy the Monopolies Commission. Um, and what one the, the key event that had happened that year to actually trigger that was the that the sale of Lagunitas, which at the time was was quite a significant point because the the, the, the former owner had always been quite vocal that he would never sell his brewery um, until the right amount of money was written on a cheque, I, I guess. And then he was quite happy to, to let it go we also um kind of started to look at what 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 were the things that were a bit of a revelation in 2015 and, and this is this is a really interesting list for me so tap rooms apparently they were new five years ago there weren't many of those uh, and people were getting very excited about the fact that they could go to the a brewery and actually drink at the brewery uh, canning and canning lines and and the quality of canned beer in in 2015 uh, gluten-free beers and, and one of the big, biggest revelations of 2015 was the word cloud water as, as well, because they, they were just starting and they were just finding their feet. And look how far they've come in, in the last five years. So, so yeah, it was, it was quite, quite exciting to, to sit around a table back then with 
half a dozen people and it's it's equally as exciting right now to sit virtually around a table with a dozen other people and to, to kind of revisit this beer nation concept but to put it in the realms of 2020 i think you're i mean i i was just thinking when you said it was quite exciting to sit around a table with other people how exciting it would be to sit around a table with other people um but it is it is just as exciting as you say to be on zoom but it's interesting that list of things that you've that you've said you were talking about um you know the phrase craft beer revolution you might occasionally still see it in the mainstream non-beer press but it's not something i guess we would ever really mention anymore is it it's kind of we're just in a different place yeah it, it it does feel like it's a very different place now and having having had that benefit of of hindsight of being involved in both of these and certainly when i went back and listened to that original beer nation in 2015 i was i was very surprised in in terms of some of the discussions that that, that were happening i think one, one of the things that really sums it up for me there was there was a quote from daniel nielsen from original gravity who, who was involved back in that original recording and he kind of signed off that that beer nation in 2015 by saying hopefully another 10 people will be sat around this table this time next year well it's taken us five years to get there but we've got those 10 people sat around the table now absolutely and i think i think you've you, you know you've you've definitely chosen the right year to do it but i think just hearing those things i think maybe we can uh you know open up the conversation a bit at this point about hearing how much when we think about it beer Ha really has changed in the past five years but we think at that point you were talking about you know the beginnings of Cloudwater when they were still kind of slightly under the radar you're talking about um you know a lot about buyouts a lot about uh you know the the newness of canning I think I, I didn't I saw some of the beers as you held them up but I think most of us here had a can rather than a bottle from what I can remember um I mean, what do people think? What, 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 for, what for other people is, is perhaps the biggest change since 2015, the most obvious change in the beer scene since 2015? I suppose for me, I mean, as Andrew said, we've been podcasting for four years. And so when we started off, uh, which was sort of really one of my introductions to craft beer, I used to get excited going into a pub and seeing a, like Lagunitas or a Sierra Nevada or a Blue Moon, right? That was That was the extent of craft beer for in most pubs that you walked into sort of four or five years ago. Now the fact that you can go in and you can get such an amazing range of not only breweries, but also styles, like in the fact that everybody, mainstream, what were niche styles are now becoming a lot more mainstream. And, you know, you, you've got sours on supermarket shelves now. I think it's just phenomenal that it's just become such a big boom, I suppose. Andrew, did you have your hand up? It was just Luke's kind of stolen my thunder. I was just going to talk about the the variety, really. I mean, when I think back to what I was drinking four years ago, and it was probably more traditional ales and bitters, probably because that's what was available in the pubs I was going into. So not only does has the variety escalated massively, the 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 options of where you can buy it have have grown massively. So you know, even even a local pub now will have, you know. It, beaver town on for example which it wouldn't have typically uh you know and we will talk about supermarkets later but obviously that's you know the availability i think generally and and that's i i see that as a, as a good a good thing over the last five years it's introduced people such as me to to some great beer and you know everyone's got to start somewhere so yeah you know, if it's in front of you in lots of different outlets that's a good option for me 
absolutely. Yeah. The, the availability is, is so totally different than it was five years ago, isn't it? But what about what about what you what we're actually drinking, the styles uh, that we're drinking, or even the styles that we even know about, Adam? Yeah, the one thing that kind of always keeps coming back when I think about five years ago is, uh, you know, a lot, I imagine a lot of people are kind of IPA drinkers, and that is kind of the the, the poster person of the um, of the beer world. But um, five years ago, it was very heavily West Coast style. You could see through your beers. And then, I mean, up until probably the last last year, you know, you, you just didn't see West Coast IPAs at all. And if you could see through it, people were starting to go, oh, that's not very craft, is it? Um, but yeah, just kind of one part of the, you know, the, uh, the style changes, I suppose. But there's lots, there's lots to talk about. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm the kind of person who, if I have an IPA, I want it to smack me around the face and rip my throat out with bitterness. And, and I have missed that. But, you, but it's creeping back, isn't it, as you say? It is it's creeping, creeping back, back yeah. Um, Nat, I'm just going to uh, pounce on you a little bit. As a beer educator, you talk about beer styles all the time. Do you think um, the range of styles that people are aware of and getting access to, is has that grown? Oh my goodness, yes, it's been incredible. And I think to Luke's point, it's the idea of sour beers that really were not on most people's radar. And, you know, five years ago, just speaking about my personal journey, I was an interested, you know, consumer and I started working in the industry in 2015. So being now on the inside of it and seeing how it's changed. And as you said, speaking to people about beer, it really is this idea of opening up our eyes to what beer can be, you know, for so many people, beer is lager. But realizing that there's this whole other world of ales out there, which is where most of us come in as craft beer fans, of course, with the IPA being the main one or pale ales in America in particular, but realizing there's this whole world of mixed fermentation beers, not only the classic Belgian versions, which are sometimes a bit too much for, you know, the newest folks because they've got all that funky character going on, but really having these nice sort of accessible Berliner Weiss and Gosa styles that have loads of different fruits added into them. I have friends who have told me, I'm not a beer drinker, you're never going to win me over and a Gosa or a Berliner Weiss has done it. So yeah, it's been really incredible the amount of new people we can bring into the industry through these new flavors and styles. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah. People who don't think they like beer. Yeah. Laura. Uh, Yeah. I think just to kind of expand on what everyone else has said, really, like I completely agree. Um, And I think for me, the, um, the extension of styles that are readily available is, has been a really key change. But I think as well as that, it's the language that people used to describe it and I think that's something that will probably continue as well you know your average beer drinker now understands what mosaic hops are whereas five years ago they might have only you know used just distinguished between a pale ale and an IPA so now kind of people are becoming more interested in what's actually in their beer and what it is that they like about it and I think it's all kind of tied in with the the choice that's available and that kind of thing is um, people understanding a little bit more what's in their glass too. Absolutely and I suppose there's a change as as, uh, Steve mentioned at the start and that in the uh, 2015 you were talking about tap rooms being completely new now we've had an odd year which we're going to move on to in a minute but um you know, tap rooms now is something that's so familiar to us, isn't it? Um, and you've all, many of you have talked about local breweries and getting, you know, visiting your local breweries, knowing your local breweries. That seems to be far more, uh, far more prevalent now as well. Um, who's got a favourite tap room, Mark? Um, yeah, I think uh, in terms of favourite tap rooms, um, most recently for me, I've got to say uh, Round Corner Brewery in Melton Mowbray. Um, their tap room is just absolutely outstanding and has been an 
it's, it's just been somewhat of a godsend um, this year, the times that he has been able to open. And even when it's not open, they do um, terrific stuff. And I think um, the idea of um, the sort of uh, idea of buying online as well this year, particularly this year with everything that's that's happened, um, it's just grown exponentially um, purchasing online. I know that um, it, it's strange to kind of, look at local breweries and feel like you have to buy them online but that's the sort of year that we've had so to be able to still support those those breweries like that has been has been fantastic but yeah round corners tap room especially has just been it's just been absolutely fantastic over the last couple of years uh, definitely one of my favorites excellent and i think you know i think that's the it's almost like we've done a kind of a full circle with uh uh you know drinking in pubs and then going back to drinking at source you know actually drinking the beer fresh from the tank it's you know one of the best ways to drink in in my opinion you know let's ignore the situation no longer we we are in an unusual year in a strange year like no other it's been a mix of uh of lockdowns of uh restrictions of different restrictions for different areas uh different impacts on the on the industry um uh, you know, a year that that uh, hospitality and and brewing will never forget. Who wants to take on COVID? Who wants to kind of have a bit of a a talk about how it's affected them, how they drink, what you know, what they've seen in the industry? Let's jump straight in and say what a shit year this has been for pubs. Um, I mean, they they really are have suffered, are suffering, and probably will continue to suffer well into twenty twenty one. They've been through two lockdowns. They've had various re- restrictions imposed. We've had a tier system in England, levels in Scotland, uh, fire breaks in Wales. Uh, and, and, and the focus most of the time has been on hospitality, increasingly in the latter part of the year on hospitality, to the extent where it definitely feels like it's an industry that's been scapegoated with very little evidence to su- support the, the, the prohibitions that have been set against it. And, you know, it makes you sometimes wonder whether the government has some sort of uh, implied temperance agenda going on with the actions they've been taking against alcohol generally. Um, so so they're suffering. Uh, you know, December should be, we're recording this December, December should be one of the big months for pubs. Uh, you know, they get a, a fair substantial chunk of their turnover in December. And yet most of them are either closed or are massively down on turnover because they can only host people if they're having meals at the same time so for, for whatever rationale the government has decided that's going to prevent everyone getting covid um so it, it it's it's desperate times for the industry and i think that i think whilst in the first lockdown they were possibly all feeling everyone was in it together lots of businesses were suffering uh communities were being sensible this time around it feels like they're definitely having the finger pointed at them unjustifiably and uh, it'll be interesting just to see how, how they manage to survive it going into 2021. I suspect we're going to be seeing pub numbers come down again. Uh, we're probably going to see a massive lag in people going back to the pub. I think I think all of this publicity and finger pointing around pubs knocks consumer confidence as well. There are lots of people that are still not necessarily very comfortable to go back to a pub um and 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 so that th- there's going to be a long lag time i think before it starts to pick up um yeah so it's it, it yeah it, it's obviously been a very very hard time for pubs absolutely and this this uh, oh yeah charles 
Yeah, I was just going to echo what Andrew said, really. I mean, it's been an absolutely shocking year for, for everybody concerned. And I just think when, when we look at the impact, I, I don't even think we're even close to knowing quite what the full scale of the impact will be. Um, we hope that it's just going to be damage limitation, but, you know, obviously, who knows? That a lot of the damage may already be done. Um, who knows? I think you're right. There's that, there's that danger, like you both said, of, of this not just being what happens this year, but what happens in the future as well, isn't it? And I think, uh, you know, you also made, Andrew, you made the distinction between the first lockdown and then subsequent arrangements. Um, Laura, you must be in a tier three area, is that right? Um, how, yeah. how is it for, for you up there at the moment? Well, uh, we've been uh, in Sheffield, we were in tier three prior to the second lockdown as well. So um, at that time, the rules on pubs were, um, I think, pretty much exactly the same as what they now are in tier two so our pubs have been more heavily restricted for uh, you know a, a number of months now um so it is really difficult and i think at the moment the the bit that struck me compared to the first lockdown is that like we were saying earlier in the first lockdown it was kind of communities pulling together and very much a gung-ho attitude um and let's all get through this and i think now the kind of the way that we came out a little bit and then have gone back in means it's more difficult for people to see the end and to know how long this is going to go on for and I think that's something that um, I perceive as having knocked confidence um, you know to to drinkers and to to venues as well um, I know certainly a lot of my favorite venues locally to me um, don't usually do food or have a fairly limited offering and have kind of said it probably wouldn't be worth them opening even in tier two so there's still quite a long way to go um, before things are going to be approaching anything regarding normality. Um, I think the, the positive of here is we do have um, very much of a community atmosphere um, here and the industry as a whole, um, hopefully the same in other places as well as Sheffield, but certainly here, um, breweries, pubs, consumers, shops have all kind of helped support each other um, and all kind of do what they can to keep things ticking over in some way and helping out other local businesses while they do so as well. So there is a glimmer of positivity um, and I don't think the spirit of uh, what we all do has been crushed, but uh, yeah, it's uh, very difficult times for sure. I think that's right. That that notion of, of community and supporting each other. I think we'll come back to that in a minute. But um, I'm kind of interested in how, like we've been saying about how things have changed. And like you were saying, Laura, that, you know, people have changed how they drink and how are we going to come back to that? I'm going to come to Simon and Vicky. How, how, is it, how has this particular time changed how, how you drink and how you, you know, what choices you make about buying or drinking beer? I think for us, um, I mean, we were tier two before the latest lockdown, but we are tier three now, even in Warwickshire, which we kind of didn't expect. Um, for us, a big part of drinking has always been catching the train into, into Brum and, and drinking in the more kind of progressive bars that, that have that kind of stuff on. Because where we live, there's still quite a, um, should we say, a more traditional uh, kind of pub culture. Um, so for us, that kind of changed due to not really wanting to get on public transport and stuff. So we found ourselves ordering a lot more direct from breweries. Um, and there's, there's kind of two sides to this, really. You know, if you want a good selection, you might be doing an online order with a bottle shop because you've got a great pick of stuff then. Um, and then uh, ordering direct from a brewery, though, you feel like you're supporting the brewery more. So you kind of try and do a bit of mix and match of, of both of those. Um, 
But also, uh, you know, going alongside that is also what breweries and bottle shops have done to kind of uh, change their business as they've had to do at such short notice. And, you know, I think 2020 has really been also the year of, of the mini keg or mini cask, which, you know, kind of wasn't even really a thing, really, uh, unless you remember from the 70s, uh, Watney's um, Party 8, was it, or something like that? I was told about it. I'm not, I'm not kind of uh, uh, that, that old. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. And, and um, people at super short notice uh, building a website, which is something that they may have been thinking about anyway, but this kind of really kind of pushed them along into doing that, which is something that they will have now for going forward to have added to their business, I think. Absolutely. And Steve? Just, just to echo what Simon says there, yeah, I think what we've seen is, is, is a lot of people move very quickly to that online business model and, and finding the way of getting basically their products direct to their customers because they've had their, they've had their key customers ripped out from underneath them, which is the pubs. So it's, it's how do we get this delicious beer straight from our brewery, tasting as good as, as, good as it can, straight into people's hands. And, and, and I'm guessing that Laura's probably had first-hand experience of that uh, at Abbeydow in terms of getting your, your, your beers out to people. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's been a um, a really big shift in terms of getting beer direct to the consumer is such a large part of the output for Abbeydale and for um, quite, a, quite a number of the Sheffield-based uh, breweries as well. Um, it was very fortunate, um, speaking from an Abbeydale perspective, that um, the canning line arrived uh, in a very timely way early on in the uh, early on in the first lockdown. Um, so as with a lot of breweries, um, the demand for cans has shot right up and it's great that we've been able to step in and fulfill that. But in terms of the more traditional uh, beer side of things, um, it's been really good that so many breweries have been able to still offer something a little bit resembling a pub experience. I, uh, I for one, don't think it's anywhere near a direct replacement, uh, but it's definitely better than nothing and um, has certainly saved saved a lot of beer from uh, a sad demise. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's served a purpose, definitely. Um, whether mini casks will be here to stay, I'm still personally on the fence about, um, but uh, we'll see. I think it would be nice that when people can go back to the pub that that beer is drank exactly as it was intended um, pulled through um, a proper hand pump so we'll see absolutely I'm with you there um, but I think this thing about canning and you said you know Abbeydale got their canning machine just in time and I've heard of a few other breweries who that kind of you know thankfully happened just in time or they managed to get a whole run of beer uh, out just in time I think one thing that's that's happened with me is I mean god I've missed the pub hugely um, but I have discovered some breweries that I hadn't drunk before because I've managed to buy them online and it's been, um, you know, like you say, getting websites up and running that, that people will have forever, be it getting systems of getting beer delivered, getting into the swing of doing that um, has, has really changed some of the, the beer that I've been drinking. So uh, just a couple of breweries that I've drunk a lot over lockdown, which I hadn't drunk at home before, Utopian and um, Cheshire Brewhouse, both of whom have great cans and have done really well kind of online promoting that. Um, has anybody else discovered new new breweries and discovered new beers that they wouldn't have drunk? Andrew? Yeah, you, you stole my thunder a little bit there with, uh, with, <laughs> with the Utopian and, and Cheshire Brewhouse. They were both on my list. 
both discoveries this year, both fantastic breweries. Um, yeah, the, the beer I'm drinking now, Good Things Brewing, new to me entirely. Uh, who else? All Day Brewing in Norfolk, hadn't heard of them before, doing sort of British uh, wild fermentation stuff. Uh, Wilderness down in Wales, um, McColl's. They're all breweries that I probably wouldn't have seen in my local bottle shop or even in a local pub. Um, but, you know, sitting at home for sort of the last 10 months, uh, you, you you discover a lot of beer online. And you think, well, that sounds damn tasty. Um, and so you think, well, I, I, I definitely want to support these guys. So, you know, I've, I've probably had at least one box of something turn up uh, every week during lockdown. Um, so <laughs> And I, I try and justify it by supporting an industry in crisis. But uh, of course, it's just because I, I, I like beer a lot. Um, yeah, I, I, but also a lot of online retailers I've discovered for the first time. So I, I'm blessed with a very good local bottle shop uh, and I support them when I can. But equally, uh, House of Trembling Madness in York, great online bottle shop. Uh, Rad Beer, they've been great as well. Um, yeah, lots of options. I think, I think Simon mentioned it earlier. You, you, you choose sometimes because you want a deliberate mix. And that's great. But sometimes you just want to go straight to the brewer and get a selection of theirs when you can. So, yeah, it's it's kind of been fun discovering lots of different beers. I think the, the shame is not being able to sit in an environment where you can maybe share and discuss those beers openly. That That's that's what I've missed. You know, I, I've I've got cupboards, cupboards full of 750s that I'm just sitting and waiting to be able to share them with someone because, you know, they're crying out to be discussed and enjoyed together. Steve? Stop buying 750s then, Andrew, would, would, would be the simple answer to that one, wouldn't it? Um, I, I think in, in terms of fines, um, one of the ones for me, and, and this actually is, is, is down to Andrew and Luke from, from Riverman Brews, uh, is a small brewery called Simple Things Fermentations, who are based up in, in, in Glasgow, who, who we got to try some of their beers when, when we did a show with, with, with the guys back in the summer. And, and since then, I've just been keeping an eye on some of the things that they're putting out. And they've, they've just released a couple of kind of seasonal specials. They've re- released this lovely Christmas owl uh, and a barrel aged stout as well, which were both right up my street. So they're, they're certainly one that I'll be keeping an eye on in the future. And I'm, I'm interested in how people have been drinking at home. So I've, uh, I've been on Zoom chats with people um i've uh, but i've also managed to take part in some online uh events probably with breweries i wouldn't necessarily have been able to do that with so i was very lucky last night in getting tasting of the the new goose island uh, bourbon county stout range talking directly to the brewers in chicago you know that was an incredible experience that i wouldn't have had had we not got these sort of online setups, but I've also done that with Utopia and I did a taste, uh, you know, involved in a launch of a beer with them, which was really interesting. And uh, I wonder whether people have had those sorts of experiences or maybe, you know, pub quizzes that they've done or, or you know, even family stuff. Steve? Yeah, we, um, we're involved in the Essex Bottle Share, which has been going for nearly five years now. And we, we haven't ever missed a month of getting together at the Owl House in Chelmsford to, to, to share beers. Obviously, when lockdown came in, we, we couldn't do that. So we, we took that online and we took that onto Zoom. And, and that's been working quite well um, for nine months now. We get together on the first Tuesday of the month and, and we all drink some, some beers. And sometimes people go on until the early hours on a Tuesday evening. Um, but yeah, we're we, we were happy to transition to that but i think we're beginning to get to a point now where we'd love to just see each other in person again yeah, anyone else had any any experiences of, of drinking on andrew you get a box a week are you drinking that on your own um yes <laughs> 
No, I'm, I'm, my wife enjoys beer as well. Maybe not as much as me, but I definitely if I think it's something that she would enjoy, I'm very keen that she has a taste of it to see what she thinks of it. And I'm more than happy to share. It just means I get to taste more beers because I open them more often. So um, I'd echo what Steve was saying about bottle shares. Our, our local bottle share moved online. That's been great. It's been fun keeping that going every month and trying to arrange beers that we can drink the same beer together the same beer at the same time and talk about it and still have a laugh and a chat and carry on doing that that's been great and then the other the other sort of positive that's come out of this is actually um meeting and talking to people that i only ever knew through social media so 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 you mentioned utopian earlier that very early on ruth at utopian started sort of a friday online drinks utopian and that's been great and it's still going every friday and you know people dip in and out when they can but it's been fantastic actually talking to people that otherwise were just a little avatar or an icon and um yeah and and learning and you know having a having fun time but actually learning from people in the industry as well and people that just enjoy beer i've really that's a massive positive i think that's come out of this and laura I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Salford Beer Festival as well, which is always one of my favourite um, beer events of the year. Um, and that was held virtually this year and was must have been an absolute logistical feat for, for Jim, who's the organiser of that, um, who I think curated um, three different beer boxes, including um, a cider box um, and sent them out. Uh, you know, to anybody across the country who would normally travel up to Salford and wasn't able to, um, and led tutor tastings throughout the weekend, uh, managed to retain the camaraderie that the festival always has, and still um, achieved a £7,000 charity donation as well. So I just thought that was fantastic that he was able to kind of think about what really makes that festival and still be able to offer something uh, to the people that um, were really missing it. Um, I think as well, probably some element of virtual events will be here to stay. Um, you know, I think it's great that we can get involved in events from all around the country that for one reason or another, we'd be prohibited from actually getting to, but it's given beer events a, a new type of accessibility um, that kind of grew from necessity, but I think is actually uh, something that could be really positive moving forward too. I think you're right. I think some of these things will be here to stay. Tom? Yeah, I just wanted to touch on, on something that I think is obviously personal to all of us because we all do a podcast is uh, how we've we've had to change to do it how we do our podcast is um you know i've always enjoyed seeing mark and ashley in person drinking a beer whether it be our local um pub or um one of us hosts and um i think obviously one of the big things whether it's as a uh, events online beer educators or podcasts is the fact of is us having to change and doing what not only we love but also you know we we have listeners that enjoy i hope they enjoy listening to our podcasts um and um i think it's been fantastic we've been able to you know i know there's the big zoom revolution and skype for quizzes and everything um that's certainly been a big difference for us is is having to um continue the podcast um online um changing some of the ways we do things um but you know it's it's been something i've always looked forward to and i didn't sort of do too many of the online beer tastings but how you know getting online jump online with mark and ashley has been um a fantastic way for me to continue to enjoy my beers like andrew said enjoying some lovely beers on your own sometimes isn't isn't actually the best you don't get the best out of that beer um so being able to, to continue to do that over uh, the podcast or over zoom has been has been really good i think you you've you know a lot of you have mentioned these things about how to uh, bringing people together and um 
you know, uh, uh, linking together, making those links together. And Laura mentioned right at the beginning of this this segment about the community spirit. And uh, I've really seen that with, with both pubs and with breweries, reaching out to their communities, reaching out to to um, lonely people or isolated people or vulnerable people. Uh, there's a pub here in Brighton, the Bevy, that has that delivered uh, Meals on Wheels to, uh, to vulnerable people um, throughout the first lockdown. Uh, there's uh, various pubs and breweries have gone out of their way, not only to, um, to do stuff like that, but also just to link people together, you know, giving pubs in, pub in a box or, you know, like you say about the Utopian, bring, bring a place for people to come together and talk and share, share beer together, you know, the most convivial drink. Um, also, I, the other bit about community that I've, I've noticed with myself is I'm picking a lot more local stuff. I'm supporting the businesses around me that are supporting me and are supporting people near me. Has that, has that changed for other people as well? Vicky? Uh, yeah, but change for the positive. I think we are, I mean, we've always, certainly from the beer industry, we've, we've always supported local, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but just in general, I think we've just definitely done that whole thing of, uh, you know, let's let's try and shop more local and uh, and, and all, all that kind of thing. Um, what I found very interesting, just moving slightly on from that about this whole chat is, it's been very interesting that we've all been talking about personally, it we've all changed our, or it's you know what it's done to our drinking habits etc but going back to what we were saying about that whole hospitality and and what will have will a lot of our local pubs survive um uh, and and how will they adapt moving forward and yes as you've just said emma they kind of a lot of them have um certainly locally we've had lots of they're doing all the meals they're doing um all that sort of thing they haven't necessarily been able to provide um drinks but yes they've been able to do the online uh, takeaway meals and things but it's going to be really interesting to see how they move forward in the next few years and will table service become a you know will be in five years time you know is table service the oh that'll be the new norm in five years time sort of thing and uh, you know so yes come back in 2025 and uh, we'll see whether that's uh, still on there still there absolutely it's hard to know what, what of these changes are going to stay isn't it but i think i think uh, it's a good place to move on to our, our next topic about where we do drink and where we're going to drink in the future so where do people drink? Where do people, where's your favourite place to drink? Where's your perfect place to have a beer? Too obvious to say my local pub. I mean, so, I mean, you know, eight months ago, no, 10 months ago, where are we now? It started in March, didn't it, when we couldn't go to pubs. So we're about 10 or nine months in. Yeah, I've got, I've got some fantastic locals. I live in a town that's blessed with really good pubs. So I could, I could pick easily one of half a dozen, uh, or I could have previously picked one of half a dozen so yeah a pub you know it's it's going to be a pub uh a not too busy pub preferably a pub where i can sit and uh enjoy good beer at my own pace and it's nice and warm there's enough of a buzz to it without it being too busy but latterly over the last nine months what has it been it's been largely at home grabbing the opportunities to go and support local pubs when i can um but always conscious i think like a lot of drinkers i'm just conscious i potentially don't want to be going to pubs as often as i might might like to so going is a deliberate attempt on my part i think to to support them and then actually try and recapture a bit of uh, what was going on before because i think something that's been lost is is the whole spontaneity about drinking as well 
I do miss that, whether it's after work or a weekend, you know, you might have been for a walk or you've done something or you just think, oh, let, let's, or you want, might phone a mate and go, do you want to meet up for a drink? Lost all of that. I'm looking forward to that coming back eventually. So, it, but it's sad that that seems to have gone for the, the last nine or 10 months. I think you're right. I think that's a really good way of putting it, that loss of spontaneity that we get from a, a pub on each corner being open, isn't it? Martin? To sort of echo what Andrew was saying there, um, is definitely, you know, where do we drink now is not, is becoming my least favourite place because it's becoming a bit more enforced. That's not the company or the quality of beers I'm allowed to drink at home and enjoy at home and share at home. It is the go down to the pub for a pint, whether that be a local or pub in London or pub anywhere in the country that I happen to love. That bit is just gone and, and the spontaneity bit, I haven't really given that much thought actually. And I think that is a massive thing as well, just that I walk past one, I've got enough time, I can pop in for one. That's sort of gone, you know, especially now, given that for a, a, you know, a large swathe of the country, you can't even go in and get a drink wherever you're eating a massive meal or not. And for the other part of the country, you have to think about having, having some food as well. So the spontaneity bit, I'd, I'd forgotten, almost forgotten about the spontaneity bit. I don't think probably since mid-March there's been much spontaneous going on in my life. Most things are planned around work, calls, the pleasure of doing this kind of thing, the pleasure of doing the beer o'clock show, recording with Steve, meeting other people online, all that kind of stuff. But the actual just option to just literally walk out your house, walk from work or go and just pop in somewhere, you know, popping, you don't pop anywhere now. Um, and I'm missing cast beer. Um, as much as the mini kegs got mentioned, the mini casks, for me, it's still not quite the same um, because it's not being pulled through a hand pull, as Laura mentioned, whether that be sparkled or unsparkled, but that maybe that's a whole different conversation one day. Um, and and just you can't quite replicate the cask beer. There's been some fantastic conditioned beers I've had at home over the last eight or nine months from some superb breweries. You mentioned one of them earlier with Cheshire Brewhouse but it's still not the same as having a pint of beer in a pub. And I have to admit, I think that sort of mythical version of the pub, that moon underwater, is almost becoming my ideal location right now. The more I can't go to one, the more I want it to be the pub I go to. So yeah, pubs and cask beer. I, I can't replicate those. Um, I, I, I miss them. I think, I think what you're saying there about, um, you know, the more we don't have it, the, the, the more we miss it. And I think, you know, that's definitely true for Cascale, isn't it? Ashley? And I think on a similar note, there's something about my enjoyment of drinking at home is diminished by the fact that I never leave here. You know, it's, <laughs> it's almost as though if you lived at the pub, you probably wouldn't get the same enjoyment drinking there. Because I, I don't go to work. Well, I, I work, but I work from home. So I, I work in a different room of the house. And that's about as much commuting as I do. There's never that feeling of it's about 4 30 so i'll get the train in a bit and oh i've got that i've got that session ipa in the fridge i'm looking forward to that there's none of that anymore it's almost as though i feel a bit guilty of having that session ipa because i've actually just walked from my study to the fridge rather than got the train home or doing anything like that so i think that the helpful thing for me is that, I mean, my favorite place is to drink at home. And the soppy answer for that is because that's where my wife and my eight month old son are. So, you know, that's the kind of soppy answer. The actual answer clearly is the beer house in Market Harbour um, is, is my favorite place to drink because it's the place that we mention on every single episode we do 
ever because they've always got 20 lines they've always got a range they've always got light dark in between low alcohol high alcohol all of those sorts of things so you know that was a huge part of beginning our beer journey was that place that had so much variety that you you couldn't not find something that you liked there so I think there's just something about the whole experience is dulled by the fact that we're being pigeonholed into certain ways of drinking and certain places that we can drink. And so any foray outside of that, like those periods of time where we weren't in lockdown felt so liberating because we could go to places and we could do things and that spontaneity returned. I was able to text Tom and say, should we just pop for a beer on Saturday? All of those kind of things returned and it felt like such a, an immense moment. Uh, and now we're kind of back into lockdown again. So it's it feels like we're, we're reining ourselves back. So I just feel there's there's something about this roller coaster of freedoms being given and taken and, and, and returning that means that we're always in a state of flux about the things that we can and can't look forward to. So um, I, I just think as soon as you lose something, you, you pine for it. Absolutely. I think that's exactly right. And I think... Um, you know, before before all this nightmare happened, um, there's been a gradual decline in pubs, a gradual decline in drinking Cascale over a few years. There was a slight uptick at the end of last year, beginning of, of this year, before you know the calamity. But um, but you know, in they've been people have been appreciating them less and less over the past few years. It would seem until now. And now, you know, you, particularly in the first lockdown, you couldn't switch on the radio or read a paper without some mention of people missing pubs. That hasn't unfortunately translated into financial support for pubs and breweries, but, but the, the public kind of longing for them uh, has, has, has really, uh, you know, has, has really been apparent. Do, do you think that will translate into, uh, into people valuing cask ale more, valuing the place where cask ale is served more? Andrew, you're shaking your head. No, definitely not. I don't think cask ale was valued before, and I think it will be valued even less. After. Well, well it, maybe not valued. Uh, maybe it's the wrong word. It's, it's a difficult situation, isn't it? Because cask ale is a particular product, isn't it? it it's a live product. It's, it's brewed to be drunk at a certain time, and it only lasts for a certain time. So when you have this whole situation with pubs opening, closing, restrictions on how many people they're coming in, um, it, it's difficult for brewers to know how and when to brew. It's difficult for pubs to know when to buy it and get it in. So what you're inevitably going to see is the availability of it falling, I think, and pubs less inclined to stock it because they can't guarantee they can serve it. And, 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 and so if that, that then starts to become a vicious cycle where I think certain brewers that might have wanted to do it are less inclined to. Uh, the brewers that do do it as a stable of their output might brew less of it. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a cask was obviously already in a decline. And I think it, that's partly because it, it has a, it has a, an image problem and it, it's, it is massively undervalued. And I, I don't necessarily see that returning. Laura, what were your thoughts? It's a, it's a really tricky one. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person that never really, you know, I, I didn't personally see cask beer as declining in my own mind, if that makes sense. For me, um, the kind of difference is I would always go to the pub more specifically to drink cask beer. 
so when lockdown hit actually we kind of went to our cellar to go and find something to drink at home and we were like hmm we've got a cellar full of mixed fermentation and imperial stouts you know we've got nothing sessionable here because if we want something that we want to drink a few pints of we go to the pub so that kind of shift into needing to find that type of beer to uh, to drink and enjoy at home was was quite big for us really um although we did manage to make a considerable dint in the uh, in the we started calling them christmas day thursdays because they were all the beers that you save up for christmas and then never get around to drinking them and it was like oh might as well just have this um but i think with the cask side of things i'd like to think of things a, a little put a little bit more of a positive spin on um I think people have already kind of attached a certain nostalgia to cask beer, even though it's only been a small amount of time that we haven't been able to access it in, you know, the, the form that it's intended to be drunk. Um, and I would really hope that that kind of spurs on a bit of a resurgence when the pubs are able to open that that's what people have really missed. Um, when the first lockdown ended, uh, we went to the Sheffield Tap at the train station and had a pint of cask Jaipur. And it was one of the best things I've ever drank. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, and we very much made a point of drinking that type of beer that day. Um, whether that will be a kind of short-term thing and people will then, you know, sort of look to experiment a bit more widely, I, I don't know. I think there's still still so much to be seen. Um, I think Andrew's right in that I think breweries that were kind of cask-led will possibly look to be a little bit more flexible with their output as well um you know there's so many breweries that have adapted um, and it almost makes sense for them to be able to continue reaching out to more people in more different formats um, but i hope that it's in addition to cask rather than as a replacement for cask if that makes sense simon have your do you think the drink the way that you've changed to drink you think you're also in tier three drinking yeah. at home is that gonna continue do you think um for, you know, once the pubs are back open, do you think your drinking habits have changed for good? Or do you think... You I don't know, think they've changed... Much? Yeah, I don't think they've changed for good because like everybody else, I'm hankering for a return to the pub to drink great quality cask beer. And my fear is... Well, there's two sides to this, really. Either we've all missed great cask beer that much that there'll be a, a huge resurgence in it when things start to return to normal. Or the danger is that um, some places... Uh, not through their own fault, really, but because there's not enough throughput, will be serving maybe not the best cask beer, which potentially puts people off even more um, because perhaps they want to maintain more lines than what's best. And maybe it should be actually a good idea to just kind of like have two lines during the time when perhaps people are starting to find their feet and be more comfortable going to the pub. And this is maybe down to just personal choice of am I comfortable going back? You know, this is going to take a real amount of work for, for some people, depending on their state of mind, to feel comfortable um, in, in a crowded pub again. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've had to change our mindset mega quick back in March, and we've gradually got used to this kind of keeping away from people thing. And I, I hope that when pubs uh, are safe to, to visit again and, and it's everyone's going to feel okay with just being in a crowded pub like it used to be ordering up a pint of cask beer and going wow that's damn good I've missed this let's get through it let's let's have a let's have a few pints of it and and that hopefully there is a if not a complete resurgence of cask beer that it doesn't lose any ground more than what it already was doing that's what I hope for anyway and Martin I'd just like to add I, th I think Simon's right and I think it may have been mentioned earlier by Andrew as well 
I think there are going to be a, a section of society. Who, it's not always going to be about COVID. I think they'll have got used to drinking at home. They'll have got used to some of the value of drinking at home. You can order a nice takeout by literally pressing a couple of bit, uh, buttons on your phone. You can uh, have that really nice beers, nice wine. Because let's remember, the pub needs to survive on more than just a beer, which we all like drinking. There's plenty of other things the pub needs to do, needs to sell to make it worthwhile. So I think there are some people who've got out of habit. I've had teams meetings at work where people have, are literally not talking about wanting to go out and have said, yeah, we've, you know, we're quite happy. I mean, let's face it, the amount of programs you can now stream. If you just want to be on the sofa, if you run out of entertainment, it's probably more about you than the entertainment offerings available um, at not, not, a, not a massive cost, in my opinion, because how much you may spend elsewhere in your entertainment. So I think hospitality, to make it a little bit wider, is going to have to work really hard to attract people. But what I do hope is that the quality aspect isn't lost. So echoing what Laura said, that cask doesn't sort of get pulled back, but also talking about value, cask itself as a product is still an undervalued product. And okay. it, I, I personally would happily pay more one. I know that's not the same for everyone. And referencing Steve's earlier comment, uh, spoons in 2015, spoons 2020, I was a fan of spoons in, in days gone by. Two things have changed my mind on that. One is uh, Brexit. And the second one is that they don't put monetary value on cask. And I know that there is a, a section of the country who need that aspect of it, but they also don't seem to give any um, hint that there's a cost behind what they're doing, a bit like supermarkets, I suppose, in some respects. So I think we need more on that. There's, there's a, definitely a, a, an educational piece there as well. I do fear for hospitality going forward, and I think it may be twenty, late 21, 22, where we start to see the full impact of this, that people may just have got out of the habit of going. I think we'll all rush back and do our best. Just not sure everyone else will. And I think as beer lovers and, uh, and, um, and podcasters or writers, we've got a role in that, haven't we, in supporting hospitality. Ashley? Yeah, and actually, you, you've touched on a point that I was, I was going to raise there, Emma, and, and it, it goes on the back of what Martin was saying there. I think that the quality of beer across all dispense methods is so good now that it actually does reduce the likelihood of people missing cask to that significant extent. And actually, because we can get such great quality in bottles and in cans, it, it actually it makes people less likely to suddenly feel like, right, pubs are open, I've got to go back for cask. Because actually, if you've had nine months of having really good bottles and cans, you might as well stay doing bottles and cans. But the, the point that you've started touching on there is, is the role that I think we all have to a greater or lesser extent. I'm fully aware that Tom, Mark and I are sort of, you know, small fish in a, in a big pond here. But, you know, there is something about reminding people about cask and, it, and just shoving it into their faces to say, actually, we're at a point now where if we don't fully re-engage with this, there is a distinct likelihood that we lose it forever. Because if it isn't a viable model for pubs and for bars and for restaurants and whatever else, then they just won't do it. You know, they will just go with other dispense methods and that will be it. And we'll all be broadly okay with it because the quality is good, but there will always be that, that reflection in the back of our minds about well, actually, if I'd have just had a few more pints, if we'd have all gone out for a few more pints of cast, we could have just caused that tipping point. So there's something like, 
you know, whether it's hashtag ask for cask or something like that, there's some kind of movement that's needed just to make sure that when everyone is able to go back to normal, then we are looking for cask first, just to say, if the options there are something I, I'm, I'm happy to go for, then I'll go for that ahead of anything else. You know, we're not saying go for things you don't like just to try and save cask, but you know, if the options are there are just as good, if not better than the others, then why not go for cask for that longevity? So yeah, excellent. I, I love the hashtag. Way. I yeah, love absolutely. that. I'm really yeah. pleased with it. I'm really, I'm definitely going to see it later. Um, we're going to move on in a second, but Andrew quickly. I was just to echo that. I, I love the whole, uh, Oh, if only I'd had a few more pints, I could have saved cask. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. If only, if only I'd had a few more pints. But it is, it's the quintessential sessionable drink, isn't it? It's, it's what a pub is all about, isn't it? You sit there, and it's, it tastes good enough that you like it, but not so good or challenging that you're thinking too much about it because you're there because either you're enjoying the pub environment or you're enjoying being with friends. The beer starts to become secondary and i don't want to undermine the beer there good beer is important but you know it's part of the whole experience and so yeah yeah that, that cask ale i mean I, I i seek it out whenever i get a chance to go to a pub now just because i think a i haven't had it for a while b i'm tr i am trying to i am having to have i'm having those extra pints on behalf of a on behalf of the sector <laughs> <laughs> excellent so yeah, so looking ahead to this future with hospitality, but we've been skirting around this next issue a little bit already about supermarkets. So about where we've we've talked about ordering beer online, either either directly from breweries or or from um, from bottle shops who are doing great online offerings at the moment. But a lot of people get their beer from the supermarket. Has you know since I mean Steve, it'd be interesting to come to you first. I think when you were talking about about you did this uh, similar sort of session in 2015. How has the supermarket offering changed since 2015? Oh, it, it's unrecognisable, really. Um, back, back in 2015, I think probably all you could get in a supermarket was punk IPA in, in, in terms of craft beer. Um, I don't think there were any, that there were certainly none of the big UK breweries that you now see in there. Uh, it was all about the regional sort of family breweries and, and, and what they could offer. There were very, very few cans on, on the shelves. Um, and, unless you're talking about obviously the, the, the big 24 packs of cans that you can buy from a supermarket, but we're not. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a completely different environment now. It's, I think one of the things that's uh, really interesting is, I mean, you say punk IPA, don't forget a bit of frawley and a bit of, of, um, I don't know, some dodgy, very commercial Belgian beers as well. But I love the fact that now it's just completely blown out, right? And uh, you've got, not only do you have amazing craft brewers in your Tesco, your Morrisons, your Waitrose, sadly not Sainsbury's, um, and, uh, but you've actually got local breweries. <laughs> I, I know Tesco have been doing a lot to get local breweries in local supermarkets um, and doing work. And I think that it's fantastic as an entry point into beer and especially with the way that they're even you know in the last year or two broadening out their styles a lot um so you've got berliner vices you've got imperial pastry stouts you've got i mean overworks brewdog have started to do their overworks range in supermarkets now too it's fantastic for the consumer absolutely the I, I, yeah go on <laughs> i was just gonna say for the brewery i mean we, we've had a chat with um some folks about this 
Um, and it's good to get out to more consumers, but I suppose there is that question of it's the same with Weatherspoons as well. It's like supermarkets are also driving the prices down for, for breweries. So I know when we were talking to Wildcard in our uh, long-lost famous uh, episode that never got aired, um, they were talking about they were really excited to go into Tesco, but at the same time they were selling it at like, you know, pennies um, compared to what they would if they were going through their tap room, which I suppose is that trade-off that you make, but... That's, I suppose, the, the, the question, right? Is it, is it ultimately a good thing? And, and you're, you know, you're coming down on the, this is really good for consumers. Anybody, anybody disagree with that? Anybody think that the, the amount of beer in supermarkets is, is not so good? Charles? Yeah, I mean, I'm slightly on the fence with, with the whole supermarket sort of craft beer kind of thing, really. I think on one hand, it's, it's, it's obviously great that we've got this amazing selection available, you know, on our doorstep, but you know, don't forget the, the independent shops that we've trust, you know, we've trusted and used over the last several years, you know, how much business is that taken away from them? I mean, that's the question I'd kind of ask, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, you know, situation. I think, as you said, we, we don't want to get into the sort of race to the bottom as it were, but I think that's going to be an inevitable possibility, I guess. I don't and know. And when you say um, that, what is it you mean by that race to the bottom? What, what is this in terms of price or in terms of, Quality. Um, I, I guess, I guess it's a range of things. I mean, obviously, you know, the amount of breweries that we're now seeing, sort of craft breweries that we always considered to be, you know, hugely independent and never going to look to the supermarket as a, as a route of um, getting the beers out. Um, I, yeah, it's it's just whether whether or not you know, um, the quality is going to sort of drop as a result of, of, of the amount that's out there, I guess. And do we, some, I know there's, you know, there's occasionally you know, Facebook groups might comment on sort of mm. not allowing kind of beers that you, you can get in supermarkets onto their groups or whatever. Is there, is there a view that we somehow, the beer available in supermarkets is not as good as, as beer anywhere else? Um, I think what we've seen, I mean, I, th- I think I can see both, um, I can see sort of, you know, craft breweries such as, uh, I don't know, for example, Northern Monk would sort of spring to mind. You know, they've got a, a fabulous core range, which sits really well actually on in the supermarket. But as long as they can offer an, an, an alternative range that can sit in the independent shops that's maybe, maybe more flavor-driven, higher ABV, um, something that's a point of difference, I think, is, is crucial really. And it, it allows that to... They allows it to sort of coexist, really, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Martin, what, what were your thoughts? If I look at beer as just another consumable product, then most consumers do the bulk of their shopping at supermarkets. Every now and again, they may go to the bakers to get some bread, whether that be for a special occasion or visitors coming round, or you may go to the local butchers to get a particular cut of meat. And we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, the beers which were in the supermarkets prior to, say, Punk turning up, they're still there. They're not going away. The regional beers aren't going away. And what we term as craft isn't going away. We race the bottom. Well, that would be down to the breweries who put their beers in the supermarkets more than the supermarkets. The supermarket, everyone knows what's, how a supermarket works. Those conversations have been taking place for years, even if you just go back to looking at dairy farmers. But milk still gets sold into into supermarkets. We don't want to be elitist about the product we like. And I think that's really important. 
and some some of those breweries that are in there now you know buxton put in a beer into into tesco storm shadow eight percent stout which even a couple of years ago if you'd said that was going to land on a tesco shelf three miles away from me i would have got i would have used quite a few words which you know is pretty unrepeatable to be honest um but yeah will supermarkets look after it as we want them to Maybe, maybe not, but we're a small percentage of who the supermarkets are selling to when all said and done. Um, there's a, a load of people out there who will not give it the second's fault. They're not they're probably not even thinking about checking dates on the bottom of cans, which until uh, the current crisis we're in, I was definitely uh, prone to doing in supermarkets because their rotation on shelves is shockingly bad, especially m and um, So, you know, I think on the whole, it's a good thing. There are sections of the country where you can't get beers. And I know everyone says online shopping, but my parents in their mid-70s aren't going to do online beer shopping. But every now and again, I'll get a WhatsApp from my mum who says, you know, they picked up something, but they saw in the supermarket and she thought it was worth mentioning to me. And it's not a regional beer. It's beer which they may have heard me mention when we were out together. So I think that's a good thing on the whole. Um, I do... I agree with what Charles said about independent beer shops, whether that be online or physical, that you still want them to have a place. You still want them to have access to beers, which perhaps can't get anywhere else. You know, whether it be like Sean with Beer Central, you know, Jules in Sheffield, you want them to have those beers, which you can only get one of. Sometimes I don't want to do four for six quid or four for seven quid or go online and order 24 beers just to make sure they don't pay the postage. Sometimes I still want to be able to walk into the shop, talk to someone, pick up maybe just two or three. And if they've got, you know, a couple of taps, maybe a growler or something as well. So I, my hope with regard to supermarkets is that you make more people aware, but you don't kill off other sections of what we love about the beer community. Absolutely. I think it's a it's a fine balance, isn't it? And I think that's what we're picking up on, that need to support independence. But like you say, the supermarkets give accessibility to people who don't have an independent near them or who only have a tenner in their pocket, aren't able to order online. Can't get anything for a tenner, can you? It's just the delivery. Um, but you could go into the supermarket and buy yourself maybe four beers, four really nice beers. Tom? Just one thing mine just mentioned there about sort of talking to someone. And I think I know that people who work at supermarkets can't be experts on absolutely everything they sell but uh, it's one thing i've not actually thought about is you know i have bought beers in supermarkets is what would if i asked about certain beers or the, the, yeah the range they have would they actually provide any good decent sort of feedback and and um and information on them whereas you know some of the recently i went into um, Duncan Murray's Wines which is a fantastic shop in Mark Harborough and the amount of knowledge they had on on the wines and the beers and I know that's their trade but it was so enjoyable just actually listening to them tell me about the beers and the wine I wanted to buy with my mum and dad for Christmas and and it was just that experience is is a lot better and I know people sort of they may go to independence to search for that but I think also you know it would are with craft beer being sold in, in the supermarkets is a bit of disservice to those beers sometimes where you know when they want that information and they just not getting it and they turned away by it and it's just it's such a point i've not really thought about i didn't know if you guys had a uh, a take on it but i think it's something that certainly a supermarket you, you'd miss out on is that kind of that sort of knowledge on those beers 
I think I think you're right, and I think uh, I think I think I like that comparison. You know, Martin was talking about we used to go to the, you know, the bakers, we just go to the butchers, the the you know the greengrocers or whatever. Rather, was now we do our shopping all at all in one. But but um, I guess I see supermarkets as uh, you can buy beer there, you can buy bread there, you can buy nice coffee there. But if I if I want that other experience and to get something different and unusual and talk to somebody, I would go to a specialist coffee shop or I'd go to a specialist baker's to buy some unusual sourdough sure. uh, or I'd go to a specialist beer shop to buy to get that information. Um, and perhaps there's room for both without one squeezing out the other, but the danger is money talks, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Adam? There's so many, so many different uh, threads on that that I try and keep in my head, but I'm going to keep a fresh one instead rather than sort of <laughs> echo what everyone else has said. And a lot of podcasts, you talk about beer journeys and things like that. And you've got to remember that there's not many people's beer journeys that are going to start in a, a specialist beer shop that's, you know, you've made a special effort to go to. So, you know, to having something of good quality that is almost an advertisement for that brewery in a supermarket is really important. It, you know, and, you know, not everyone has the money to be able to do this, you know, as a, if you're really into beer and you drink a lot, you know, however, whatever a lot is, you know, four cans from a specialist shop, you know, you, you're talking well over 20 pounds sometimes. Um, and people who are new on the journey or used to spending maybe five pound on four cans, you, you're not going to convert them people unless they're really, you know, they've, um, they've had that experience. And I, I am, I'll put my hand up. I am, the super, I use a supermarket. I do. And, and you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't spend that much money on it. You need something as a kind of a, not a special occasion, something that's good quality beer. And, um, you know, these breweries have chosen to put these things in supermarkets. They've not been forced to do it. And I know that like it does cause headaches for when you start seeing Thornbridge, um, core range in specialist shops, when you know that you can get it, you know, eight cans for nine pound, you know, what I mean? <laughs> of joy for, you know, that's insane. And to be honest, I've, probably drunk more Jaipur during lockdown than I ever have. And I've drunk a lot of Jaipur. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the other points are play echo really. I think mainly that one being that having that kind of maybe some sort of core range in supermarkets and then you, you're going to have to go to a specialist shop or somewhere or, you know, or direct. Um, and it's basically, that's the advert, that's the advert for that brewery in the supermarket there. So Luke, you you wanted to come in there. Yeah, I think you nailed, you nailed it there, right? It's, the specialist beer shops, uh, they're, they're serving a different function. They're like, they're for people at a different point in their beer, sh- uh, beer journey. And, uh, and I suppose, and actually, when you think about it, independent beer shops, and I know my local um, uh, beer shop in Hitchin, which is a great little bottle shop, can be quite intimidating to somebody who doesn't know anything about beer. Because they walk in there and you've got these, um, unfortunately as well, predominantly white male dudes behind the bar, um, who... You know, a very good if you can get past that initial snobby barrier. It reminds me of High Fidelity and like the, you know, walking in and, and asking for Stevie Wonder um, and getting yelled at. And and I suppose that would serve. And the only problem is, is if what happens to books happens to beer, where it's with Amazon coming in and completely uh, pushing out all the independent booksellers. And now you just don't have anywhere near as many but I do feel like there is space. I think the thing is, is that beer shops just need to up their quality and they need to make sure they're actually serving the need that they're trying to serve and not trying to serve everyone and actually, you know, differentiating and doing something different. Yeah, no, I was just going to say really what kind of echoing what Luke's just said there. I think there is a, yeah, there is still a, you know, um, 
sort of almost a, a fear factor for, for someone that's new to the scene, walking into a bottle shop, uh, as friendly as the staff normally most majority of the time are. Um, it's still a bit of a bit, can be a bit daunting. You know, you just see shelves and shelves of bottles and mainly cans these days. And, uh, you know, if you're new, it's like, am I buying the right thing? Do I, is this, too, is this too much to spend on a beer? Whereas obviously in a supermarket, you know, no one's bothering you. No one's judging. No one's not that nobody judges you, but no one's sort of looking at you. You've got time. It's you're not sort of blocking someone's sort of you know experience in a, in a bottle shop. So, yeah, there's definitely still a sort of intimidation factor potentially for for sort of new people into the scene. Absolutely, yeah. I think we have to remember that, don't we? As we're a way down our beer mm. journeys. Well, that's it for part one. Um, you don't have to wait for the second part. The second part has been released at the same time. So I hope you enjoyed the first, and I'll see you in the second half. 